Good morning. This morning we continue our series, Resident Aliens, from the book of First Peter, and we talk about marriage this morning. And marriage has a bad rap in America today, doesn't it? We see that by the way we joke around. We talk about the ball and chain. Say love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. Woody Allen said there's three rings in marriage. You've got the engagement ring, the wedding ring, suffer ring. And we can laugh because we know marriage is hard. If you're married, or I should say good marriages are hard. Good marriages are hard. And so we can laugh when we get it. Man, marriage is, is hard. And so Peter's going to help us this morning in terms of being a contrast society within our marriages. And so let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 3, first seven verses. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity and passages like this that don't fit American culture. Would you help your people to be submissive to what you would have to say? Help us to trust your word, but also your goodness, knowing that ultimately you know best and you want our best. And so may we have a posture of submission to the authorities you've placed in our lives, but especially and ultimately to you. So help us this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I want us to look at three things this morning from these seven verses. First, Wives, submit to your own husbands. And then second, for married and single, ladies, pursue true beauty. And then third, husbands, respect your wives. So first, wives, submit to your husbands. We see that there in chapter 3, verse 1. Look again, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And I've already said, as we've seen the last couple weeks here in this call to submit, submission is a four-letter word in our culture today. It is mocked. A good way to define submission, though, is to willingly follow. And maybe that's a better way to speak. It's less offensive. To submit is to willingly follow. And this teaching is mocked in our culture. Sadly, this teaching is even mocked in many churches in Abilene, believe it or not. And remember, anytime we have a problem with God's word, we have a problem with God. And remember, anytime we have a problem with God's word, the problem is right here, not right here. And so we want to flex and we want to calibrate around what God's word said. We're to follow scripture, not culture. And again, this idea is mocked by our culture. But man, look at the current conditions of marriage in America. Do they really have any right to mock God's vision for the family? 
I don't think so. God knows our best and he wants our best. And so if we need to follow him, follow his word for his glory, it's not the case that God's vision of the family has been tried and found wanting. Rather, it's been found difficult and left untried. So the call here is for wives to submit. Now, let me mention a few clarifications, a few qualifiers. First, Peter says, wives submit to your own husbands. He doesn't say women submit to men generally. He says, particular wives submit to their particular husbands. And to submit is just to recognize and agree to your God-ordained roles. It's a humble recognition of the divine order of marriage. It's to affirm and honor your husband and help him lead the family. It's a disposition of the wife that delights when a husband takes initiative. And if that's the case, if it's just a humble recognition of the divine ordering for marriage, really, ladies, wives in particular, a call to submit is really a call to trust the Lord because he's the one calling you to this. And I realize some of you have to have a more heavy amount of trust than others. But at the end of the day, trust the Lord that he is working in and through your husband to accomplish what is best for you. And the way the call for a wife to submit to a husband does not mean that you're inferior in any way. Men and women are equally made in the image of God, both of equal essence, just have different roles. It does not communicate inferiority. If that were the case, Jesus would be inferior to the Father, and that's not the case. The Father and the Son are of equal essence. Both are divine. If you don't believe that, you are outside the bounds of orthodoxy. That's historic Christianity, that the Son and the Father of equal essence, Holy Spirit too, but right now I'm talking about the Father and the Son. And there are different roles within the Trinity. And so Jesus will say things like, not my will, but your will. And so the Son, even though equal in essence to the Father, submits to the Father. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So it's not a matter of superior and inferior. It's just a matter of different roles. Distinction of roles does not mean difference of worth. It's really important. Also important is to know that when you follow your husband, you're called to, but never when that is a call to not follow Jesus Christ. If your husband ever asked you to follow him in a way that would dishonor your king, you say like Peter did in the book of Acts, I will obey men, I will obey God over men. And you follow the Lord, which is also countercultural to the first century. In fact, let me read to you from this historian from the second century. His name's Plutarch about the culture of marriage there. He says, a wife, this guy's a pagan Roman writer. He says, a wife ought not to make friends of her own, but to enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. And the gods, speaking of the Roman gods here, are the first and most important friends. Wherefore, it's becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the front door tight upon all strange rituals and outlandish superstitions. Well, not scripture, not Peter. You follow the Lord first and foremost, but when and where possible and where it is safe, you submit to your, even your unbelieving husband here. You honor him even when he doesn't deserve it and when he doesn't earn it. God has placed you with this man. Pray for him. Be a gospel witness as we will see and pray fervently for him. Oh, in glory to rehearse how the Lord has used the faithful prayers of saintly women. So pray for him. And notice the missional concern here. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, here's the purpose, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see 
the purity and reverence of your lives. Ladies, there's some of you in here who live with husbands who are not believers. Maybe they say they're believers, but they're not following the Lord. And you come here alone and you have no support at home. And I know this is hard. It's a hard place to be. And let me encourage you, though, if your husband claims to be a believer, but there is no spiritual fruit, if there's no sense of a changed life, if he doesn't, the main fruit in 1 John is that he loves the brothers and sisters. So if someone doesn't even come, I don't know how they can actually love the brothers and sisters. If there's no time in the word, if he's not a person that's ever praying, if there's no fruit in that man's life, maybe you ought to change your posture and have an evangelistic posture towards him. Wanting to win him over. That's the goal here. It's a missional concern so that he might be won over. And he says, win him over without words. Listen, no man is won over by nagging. Don't nag him. That'll just push him away. Win him over without words. I love the way the Proverbs speak about this reality of a a woman who can be quarrelsome that you don't want to be because you don't want to push this guy away further from the gospel. You want to be attractive, not one that's pushing him away from the truth. The proverb says, a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Enough already? That's what nagging's like. Don't do that. That's not going to help him. Proverbs in chapter 20 says, it's better to live on the roof. He doesn't even go that far. It's better to live on the roof than live with a nagging wife. He actually says it's better to live on the corner of the roof. I think he means the opposite corner of wherever she's at. And so don't don't nag him. Win him over without words, Peter says. Seek to win him over by your conduct. When he sees your purity, when he sees your reverence, this is the same thing we've really seen so far, right? We're all worship leaders. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Our behavior should lead others to glorify God. Look at 2.12. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's the same call for all of us. Live your lives in such a way that we point other people upward. Win them over without words. Now listen, it's ultimately the gospel that's going to save. We see that again and again and again. Romans 1.16, it is the power of God unto salvation, but your behavior matters significantly. The way you live is extremely important. And so wives, pursue purity. Pursue reverence. Leave no room for doubt that you are committed to your king. And that doesn't mean you live perfect lives. You strive for that. You want to live in a way that's above reproach, but you're not going to, you're going to fall. So it doesn't mean you live perfect lives. It does mean that when you fall, and especially when you sin against him, an unbelieving husband, you own it. You own it and say, you know what? That was sin, first and foremost, against my God. And that was sin against you. Will you forgive me? I'm so thankful that in my life I have the grace of Christ. What we saw last week that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. I'm so thankful for that grace. And I know that he's forgiven me. Will you forgive me? Just think about the kind of gospel aroma that will create in your house if that's happening all the time. That's for both believers and unbelievers. But here in specifically thinking about with unbelievers, if you strive to live in a way that honors the Lord. And when you don't, you own it. Because we're all sinners. And the gospel is true. And so we can say, you know what? I can do better and I should do better. And I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Win him over, not with perfection, but with gospel centrality. 
So wives, submit to your husband. Second thing is ladies, pursue inward beauty. Look at verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So ladies, pursue true beauty. Pursue lasting beauty. Pursue inward beauty. God's not anti-beauty. He designed it. But our focus should be on inward beauty. Not that comes from outward stuff. And he mentions here a few examples. Not to say that it's always sin and you should never wear jewelry or fix your hair or accessorize or anything like that. The issue is what is your focus on? Is it on external adornment or is it on internal adornment? Don't waste so much time and resources on outward appearances. And young ladies especially, this is so important for you to hear because the enemy is going to use culture, television, magazines, Instagram, billboards to say two lies. Number one, your value is tied up with your appearance. Your identity is bound up with how you look externally. That's the first lie. The second lie right after that is, and you don't measure up. And both are lies. And so many people believe the lie. Again, it's the air we breathe. In 2007, Americans spent $39 billion on cosmetic products alone. Just think about where that money could go. That doesn't include cosmetic surgery. That's just cosmetic products. $39 billion. It's the air we breathe. It's the message that we receive. In fact, maybe a couple of you have seen this. It's kind of old now, but this ad that Dove did, I want to show you real quick this commercial that Dove did if you haven't seen it. Thankful for Dove's authenticity, vulnerability here, putting this, thing kind of, this kind of thing out because, ladies, you can't compete. You can't compete. You drive by that and you think, man, you know what? I need to work. I need to look more like that. You didn't know that I'm telling the budget of that commercial besides the fact that she had 10 people working on her plus computer software, Photoshop and airbrush. You just forget all that trash. Forget the message the world speaks. It's not real and it will not last. So just brush it off. Brush off the airbrush. Don't pour all your effort into our beauty. Rather, pursue real beauty. The beauty that matters, inward beauty, that of your inner self. There is nothing more beautiful than the beauty of holiness. The beauty of loving the Lord Jesus Christ with all that you are. Peter says, just like the holy women of the past who hoped in God and submitted to their husbands. So Peter's saying, hey, look at your Bible. Look back and you'll see. Look at the holy women of old. But not only that, Southside, look to godly ladies within the congregation. Peter's saying, as you do this walk, you're going to need help. You're going to need role models. You're going to need encouragement. So look to the holy women of old, but also look here at Southside. Let me look at Titus 2. I want Titus 2 to be a very familiar passage among our ladies. Titus 2, verse 3 to 5. Look to ladies like these, Peter is saying. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, 
to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. In other words, how to live the Christian life. And so older women, and he didn't give us a number there, but older women, help women that are younger, you live the Christian life. I wonder, ladies, are you doing this? Are you obedient to this verse? Older ladies, if you've gone a few steps ahead of some younger ladies, are you pouring in to the next generation? Are you teaching them to be a woman of God? This is for every woman in here. There's always someone behind you, whether it be in age or in maturity or walking with the Lord. Are you pouring yourself out into the lives of someone else? In other words, are you making disciples? It's really just what we're talking about. Matthew 28, the Great Commission is for every single Christian. Every single Christian is a disciple called to make disciples. How are we doing on that command? It may be the most disobeyed command in all the Bible. Are you seeking to help others follow Jesus? That's all discipleship is. Are you seeking to help someone else follow the Lord? Helping them wherever they are now come to where the Lord wants them. Where does the Lord want them? Maturity, growing, increasingly submitting all areas of our thinking and our living to his rule. That's what we're talking about. And so are we doing this? I've mentioned discipleship groups before, D groups. I want to see us grow in, in having these groups of two to three, same gendered, getting together. And this could be where if you've gone a little bit, and I know the tendency is for you to think, you know what, I've got nothing to teach. What do I have? First thing, the word assumes that you do, and you probably have a lot more than you think. You've got the spirit in the word of God, but also we've got a lot of resources on the website. So if you go to ministries and find D groups, a lot of resources, a group could be of two to three people. You get together every week for an hour. You get together, hey, how was your week? What was the high? What was the low? How are you doing? Then you talk about maybe a book of the Bible. Maybe you read First Peter together. And maybe you read the passage we're going to be looking at. And so you'll come in here ready to roll. Maybe you're doing Ephesians or Philippians. Or maybe I've got a list of like 25 other books. Maybe you're going through some book together and you start talking about that word for 30 minutes. Hey, what did you learn? What was challenging? What was convicting for you? What are you going to take away from this? How can I pray for you this week? An hour, boom, meet the next week. That's what a D group is. I'd love for every member of Southside to be involved in discipleship. More than that, Jesus Christ commands every believer to be involved with discipleship. So you can learn more on our website, but ladies in particular, here the call is for the younger ones to look to the older ones. Are you making yourself available? If not, do so. Be one of these holy women that they can look to as an example and look to to live the Christian life. And Peter points to one, he points to Sarah who followed Abraham faithfully. If you remember the story, even when he was a fool, Sarah follows him, even calls him Lord. Now, listen, guys, there's no precedent here. I could just see it. I walk in the door and Alicia's like, kids, Lord Blake is home. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what we're getting. The idea is she respected him. What's actually really interesting is there's one place in the scripture where Sarah calls Abraham Lord and it wasn't even to his face. It was in Genesis chapter 18 where they've learned they were going to have a kid and Sarah speaks to herself and she laughs and says, now that I'm all worn out and my Lord is old, is this really going to happen? So she's speaking to herself. The idea is she had regard for him, even when he wasn't around. She had regard for him and she respected him and she wasn't going to speak negatively of him. recognized him as the leader, honored his headship. I wonder, ladies, are you a daughter of Sarah? Even when he's not around, refuse to participate 
and the slander that all too happens, all too often happens when husbands aren't around. Don't tear him down. Don't tear him down when you're with other ladies. Don't tear him down to his face. He may not say this, but his ego is fragile. He needs your respect. He needs your support. He needs your admiration. When everything else is against that man, he needs to know God is for him and you're right beside him. And so you tell him, you can do this. I'm with you. You're beast mode. The tomb is empty. Come on. That's what a man needs. Does he know that you have his back? That's beauty. So pursue inward beauty. Peter says it is of great worth in God's sight. Outward beauty is of great worth to the world's eyes. Inward beauty is great worth in God's eyes. I love when the Lord is looking for a king, what we see in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. That's what the world's looking for. For I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Ladies, hear that. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the hearts. Inward beauty is precious to God. Your obedience, your holiness, your faithfulness, that's precious to the Lord. You have his affirmation and no one else's affirmation matters when you have his. So ladies, think for a minute. Just think about, think about your body for a moment. How much time, energy, resources, do you spend to enhance outward beauty? Gym, makeup, clothing, cleaning, painting, grooming, toning, dyeing, none of those things are wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. The issue is your focus. Compare the amount of time and energy and thought you think about outward beauty versus the amount of time and resources and energy you seek to enhance inward beauty. And if you contrast those, they should be vastly different. If you struggle with body image, hear this. At the end of the day, outward beauty does not matter. And here's the thing. Even if you have it now, you won't for long, right? You wake up every morning and you got to go to the mirror and you've just got to assess the damage. You wake up, sometimes you scare yourself in the mirror. Like that's your own reflection. You just scared yourself. Proverbs 31, beauty is fleeting. And you feel that, right? I mean, we all feel that. You get past 35, it's like, all right, yeah, mm-hmm fleeting every morning he says beauty is fleeting but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised and he says inward beauty doesn't fade it's imperishable he says outwardly we're wasting away what a way to put it outwardly we're wasting away but inwardly we're being renewed day by day and so work on the beauty that pleases the Lord that is precious to him work on the beauty that will matter 10,000 years from now Work on growing to be like Christ. And then Peter gives us four qualities here of true beauty. First is a gentle and quiet spirit. Look at verse four. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. This is really a good way to describe submission. It's this spirit that is gentle and quiet and you will disagree with your husband and it is right to register your disagreement. But when you register that disagreement, you do it gently and you do it with humility. You do it respectfully, humbly, not harshly. Peacefully, not loudly and abruptly, a person of inner peace and tranquility, one who's not easily frazzled, of great worth in God's sight. And then the second one is, is hopeful. Look at verse five. 
For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. A godly woman is not easily frazzled because they're full of hope. They're hopeful in their God. And remember that hope is a confident expectation based on a promise of God. And we saw what we just sang about in chapter 1, verse 3. We praise God in his great mercy. He's given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hope is based on the resurrection. And so you're full of hope because of God and his faithfulness. You put your hope in him. You don't put your hope in your husband. You don't put your hope in getting a husband. You don't put your hope in outward appearance. You put your hope in God. You're forward-looking. You're banking everything on him because of the resurrection. You're hopeful. The third thing he mentions is, is you do right. Look there at the second part of verse 6. You're Sarah's daughters if you do what is right. And he's, we've already seen to do right is to follow the Lord. We live well. We live good lives. He calls wives to pursue purity. Pursue reverence. Truly beautiful women fear the Lord. Again, not in some, some panic-stricken fear, but in the sense of reverential awe. You fear displeasing him. You do right. Fourth thing is you do not give way to fear. We see it there at the end of verse 6. If you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Of course, this is tied to hope, right? If you're full of hope, you're not going to be fearful. Because you hope in God, you lack fear. You know God and you know his goodness. You know his sovereignty. You know that he's good and you know that he's in control. And so you're fearless. That's what's attractive. The woman who has Romans 8 deep down in her bones. The woman who fears nothing but the Lord. Knows that God is for and nothing can be against her. Knows that she has nothing to fear. She knows who goes before and who stands behind. She knows the God who reigns is a friend of mine. For her to live is Christ. That's what it's for. This life is about living for Christ. For her to die is gain. She loves the Lord so much. To die is gain because it means more of the Lord. No weapon formed against her shall prosper. She doesn't give way to fear. Proverbs 31 again. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. It's beautiful. So ladies, pursue inward beauty. And third, husbands, respect your wives. Verse seven, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Sadly, there are many, many domineering men, even more sadly, some men use the Bible's teaching to validate, validate excuse me, their domineering, but God will have none of that. Feminists who hate this teaching will often point to bad examples, even within the church. But that's not what God calls men to. In fact, one thing that submission does not mean is it does not mean you put up with physical abuse. And sadly, the church has a black eye when it comes to this. Maybe you're familiar with social media and the hashtag Me Too, and it's all about abuse of women and then there's the hashtag church too because sadly the church has not handled this well and sometimes people use this type of teaching to say endure it in fact to get personal we're part of the southern baptist convention and a few weeks ago this recording came out of the president of southwestern advising women who are in physically abusive relationships to stay pray and submit i think that's pastoral mal malpractice 
We have a very high view of marriage, and I believe that reconciliation is always the Lord's will, but you need to have that man arrested and removed as part of the long process of reconciliation. So to submit is not to endure abuse by any means. And for a man to use this teaching to do that sort of thing is just wicked. Notice what he says. He says, be considerate. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with them according to knowledge, personal insight that leads to care and consideration. So guys, that means you just keep studying your wives. Keep asking questions. Continue to date them. Value her. Honor her. Treat her with respect. She is his daughter before she is your wife. And so live with her according to knowledge. What does that mean? I have no idea. Just work at it. Work at it. (laughs) It's a lifelong endeavor. Maybe you've seen the picture. You've seen the picture of the control panel uh, for a man versus the control panel for a woman. I think we've got a slide for you. There you go. Man, on. Woman, I don't even know where to go. It's like training dogs. Guys are like dogs. They're easy. Just feed them and love them. You're good to go. Women like training cats. No one knows. No one has a clue. Man, what do you want? But seek to live with her according to knowledge. Study her. And every woman is different. And so know your wife. Date your wife. Peter says, treat her with respect as the weaker partner. Weaker just physically. It's just a creational reality. It's a biological reality that generally speaking, women are weaker than men. Like if I'm going in this dark alley to find my car, I've got one thing on my mind. Where's my car? But if a lady by herself is going down a dark alley to find a car, she's got a whole different set of thought process. She's got her mace in one hand, she's got her keys in her fist, and she's just ready to get there. It's just, it's just a biological reality. There's smaller bone density, lesser lung capacity, Women are just weaker physically, generally speaking. So Peter's saying, you may, husband, be physically stronger. You may be socially empowered, but you are to treat her as a co-heir of life with dignity and respect. You treat fine china with more, not less care. And he also says, treat her with respect as heirs of you with the gracious gift of life. Again, co-heirs of life. This was countercultural. Because in, in, in this century, it was patriarchal. They weren't the same. It's funny that today the Bible often gets criticized in Christianity for saying we're oppressive to women when in the first century it was the exact opposite. It was liberating. Men and women are co-heirs of the grace of life. And then the Lord has a warning. Husbands, you respect her so nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, does God seem distant? He may be waiting on you to repent of the way you're treating your wife. He takes this so seriously, he will not listen to ungodly husbands. You think he can treat your wife like garbage and think things are just fine with you and the Lord? It's not the case. And may God thwart and end such hypocrisy so that your prayers will not be hindered. The way I treat my wife affects, impacts my prayer life. And so guys, are we working? Are we working at this? Are we dying to sell for the sake of our bride? Last week, we saw that all Christians are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And Ephesians chapter five, a life verse for husbands ought to be deep in our bones where we're called to follow the footsteps of Jesus when it comes to how we love our wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ 
loved the church and gave himself for her. Think what that means. Think what the Lord did for his church. He endured unjust suffering. He was beaten. He bled. He died a gruesome death. He suffocated in his own blood for the church. And that's the model. Husbands, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. A dying of self every day. That's why I started saying marriage is hard, at least the good ones. Because marriage has become good from two people daily dying to self. And let's be honest, none of us like to die to self. We want ourselves to be on the throne. And so husbands and wives, this is hard, but we've got to work at it because no one drifts together. If we're not working, we're drifting. And no one drifts together. We always drift apart. Marriage is not like a tree. You can just plant, throw some water, and you're good, leave it alone. No, not good ones anyway, and that's what the Lord wants. But it's more like a never-ending building. Never ending till it's day we die, brick by brick, constantly working, never finished, always pursuing faithful till the end. And what's the win here? The win is, guys, we typically go first. And the win is that we're going to go and then our wife's going to be on a, on a rocking chair and your kids are going to be around and they're just going to be grateful. Not because you were successful in your business or you were really, got really good at your stupid little hobby, or because you made a lot of money. They're going to be grateful because every day you gave yourself for their good. You made her better. That's the win. I think about this pastor friend of mine, and he had one of his elders pass away of cancer in his 50s, and the wife wanted to speak at the, the funeral. And she got up, and she didn't say much, <clears throat> but she got up and she stood over that casket and she said, I'm so thankful God gave me that man because every day he gave his life for me and I am more faithful Christian because I was married to him. I'm more like Jesus because of that man. That is the win, brothers. And ladies, if for some reason we go first, what's the win for you? The win is that your husband, he probably won't be in a rocking chair, probably being a lazy boy. And he's sitting back thinking, sheesh, how did I do that? How did I land that woman? Man, I miss her. I blew it so many times. I led us in the wrong way that caused a lot of conflict for our family. I was a fool, yet she respected me and she loved me and she supported me even when I was an idiot. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that God would give, me, give her as a wife to me. So let's work. Let's work. Wives, submit to your husbands. Ladies, pursue true beauty, and husbands, respect your wives.